Thanks for listening to the Faith Radio podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. I'm Carmen LaBurge. I hope you enjoy. Merry Christmas. We're looking back at some of our important conversations this past year. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. This is a special edition of Mornings with Carmen during this Christmas tide. So that by the time we get back together in person, it will be a new year. Well, God willing. Year um, ends and the beginning of a new year is always a good time for us to consider how we're going to be in the Word of God. Maybe you want to pick a word for the year. Maybe you want to pick a particular verse of Scripture to live into. Maybe you want to pick a song for the year. Somehow, in some way, I want to invite you to invite God to renew your spirit in the new year. What do you need to have renewed? today. Do you need renewed faith, renewed hope, renewed love? Do you need the renewal of your heart? Do you need the rebirth of your spirit? Do you need a re-energized life? Do you need to be overjoyed by the reality of Jesus? Do you need your priorities to be rearranged or your calendar reorganized or your family reoriented or your home reclaimed? Do you need a fresh start this new year? I mean, the nice thing about a new year is it is an opportunity to begin again, again. That's right, to begin again, again. To ask God to forgive us, to ask God for reconciliation in our relationships, to ask God to lead us in the way everlasting. The scriptures declare, and I believe, that if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. Something brand new now lives, and that new person can begin again, again at this new year. We do have to be willing to break with the past and break with the patterns of the past We have to, in the words of Jesus, be willing to die to ourselves in order to live in Christ. You see, in order for there to be a new life, there must first be a death. God promises a new heaven and a new earth, but only after the first heaven and the first earth pass away. That's that's evidence that something has to die in order for something to live. That's, That's the message of the cross as well. God offers us salvation in Jesus Christ, a beginning again, again. But only after the King of kings and the Lord of lords died on a cross to take away the penalty and the punishment for our sin. God extends to us the opportunity to begin again, again, with a clean heart and a fresh slate, every single day, every single moment, right now, right now. But only after we confess our sin and ardently ask him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the nature of repentance. It's not a casual, you know, side-eye to sin. It's a serious weighing of the soul. Breaking with the past is difficult. I don't deny that. 
acknowledging that we don't know it all, admitting that we've made mistakes, um, agreeing with the evidence that our lives are off track or our thoughts are off base, confessing our sins of thought, word, and deed, confessing our sins of commission and omission. I mean, it's hard. It is hard to do. But if I want to begin again again, then I have to put to death the old ways. If I'm going to call others to be reconciled to God, then I first must be reconciled to God myself. And that only happens by putting to death the former things. That in Christ, I can become, by God's grace, a new creation. Do you want to be a new creation in the new year? Do you want to begin again again? Change is difficult. I don't deny that. But it's also profoundly simple because God's the one who does all the work. All we have to do is yield. Seriously, all we have to do is yield. The work has been done. Like going to sleep with the confident faith that when we awake, God will have delivered us into a new day. Beginning again again in Christ requires only the submission of our lives into the gracious hands of a loving and faithful God. That's it. That's it. I mean, let's face it. God knows more than we do. God knows more about our families, our work, our love lives, our kids, our community, our hurts, our grievances, our world, the church, than we could ever hope to know. We also know that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and his thoughts, his perspective, his plans are vastly more perfect than anything mere mortals could conceive. So let's put our trust in God in 2024. Let's trust that God has a perfect plan and he will make perfect provision for us individually and corporately. In my own life, 2023, you know, had some new beginnings and 2024 will certainly be a year of beginning again, again. 2023 was certainly blessed, very rewarding, also hard. But in all things, I trust that God is setting before me and before you a future filled with hope a life and a ministry that right now, neither of us can fully imagine. Again, I know that starting over is difficult, beginning again, again. Um, And beginning again, again is rarely planned out. But we should expect the new year to be a time when we begin again, again in our relationship with the Lord our God. During this um, special Christmas Tide week, Um, special edition of Mornings with Carmen. We've been revisiting our conversations with our friend Jeff Christofferson about his book, Once You See. And and today we're going to conclude those conversations and we're going to talk about the temptation of the Western church in terms of the kingdom of God. It's not about a nation or a state. It is about a king and a kingdom. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Jeff Christofferson is back. Um, We have been talking with Jeff over a series of conversations about Once You See. It is uh, a novelized conversation about the seven temptations of the Western church. It is a great read. It is a great story. And it is great content. Um, Jeff, welcome back. Great to be back with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. Well, we arrived today at uh, temptation number six. And, you know, if if the ones weren't zesty up until now, um, (laughs) today's is uh, is certainly uh, certainly a zesty topic. Partisanism. 
Um, it's not wrong to um, to love our country, but to worship it is a problem, and um, and it's certainly a problem for for the church. Hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, we often say we love God and country, and um, but I I think that translates very often. We love our country and we like God, and um, and when that that becomes the case, our country, our our patriotism becomes. Uh, idolatry, and um, and it becomes the highest perspective. I mean, national patriotism, political perspectives—they're normal, they're right, they're they're what we need for our democracies to run. But as a follower of Christ, that can never be my highest allegiance, and um, and so the kingdom of God has to be first. And any temporal nation, including our own countries any nationality, any ethnicity, any political political ideology has to bow its knees to Jesus Christ as Lord. And um, and so we just have to, as followers of Christ, lower all secondary allegiances so that our earthly perspectives might not become a stumbling block to the, mes- the message that cre- Christ has called us to, right? And... Um, and Jesus told us a little bit about what happens when we <laughs> become stumbling blocks, when our words become stumbling blocks. We and we are who are supposed to know become stumbling blocks to those uh, who have not heard the good news. Uh, it'd be better for us to have a millstone cast around our neck and, and us cast in the sea than be one of those people. And yet, I wonder, Carmen, <laughs> when the gospel that um we have sounds like bad news to the poor to the oppressed to the brokenhearted to the imprisoned and it only sounds like good news to the self-righteous and the privileged and the middle class i wonder if it's still the gospel of jesus christ that we're uh, that we're hanging on to so there's a a conversation jeff that is running um in in tandem with this one, and it is the conversation about the 40 million adults who have left the church mm. um, in the last 25 years. And many of those people still consider themselves, continue to consider themselves Christian. Um, they do they do have community with one another, um, but mostly uh, online. And um, they do consider themselves Christian in ways that they don't think other Christians are Christian, um, mm. and much of it is um, much of it is around political ideology. And um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read a paragraph um, okay. out of uh, the Great Dechurching, which is a book that is coming out um, any day now by Jim Davis and Michael Graham, and it's it's this research into the 40 million people who have left the church um, in the United States of America in the last 25 years. And so going to church used to confer positive social capital, especially in the southern and midwestern portions of the United States. But increasingly, what is imputing positive social capital is actually just mirroring political, civil, religion in your own immediate physical context and the makeup of your digital community. And that knife cuts both ways politically. If you're in a blue city state or digital ecosystem, 
then you need to say certain things and do certain things to maintain thick social ties. In our current situation, that might look like expressing sentiments about um, sentiments about politics, policy, gender, sexuality, or race. Um, and uh, it's an it's an increasingly polarized um, reality. So this this polarization is attack the the political polarization in the country and all of its attachments is feeding this partisanism that is then infecting the church. And the spirit of the world is very much in the church when it comes to this conversation. And people bow up. I'm telling you, I probably will not get in anything that I talk about this week. I probably will not get more negative feedback than I will get from talking about this. And it will be from people on the politically partisan right and the politically partisan Mm -hmm. left who think that the only way to be a Christian is to be with them politically. But really the only way to be a Christian is to be with Jesus, like just be with Jesus. And, you know, on some things in our country, Jesus would come down red and in some cases he would come down blue. But it's it doesn't work out that way in people's minds. Yeah, I mean, in America, you're used to a two party system and uh, and and depending on where <laughs> where you land on that, you know, you think one is good and the other is evil. And um, the reality is, if you look above that, it is a two-party system. It is the kingdom of God and it is the dominion of darkness. And our, the two political parties do not line up in, in those two realities. The, the kingdom of God is what things look like when Jesus gets his way. The dominion of darkness is what, looks like, what things look like when anything else is put in that place. And, um, and so we have this, this problem when, I mean, you ask this question, what happens to the mission field when, when partisan evangelicals collectively turn our missionary platforms into ideological troll farms in many ways? What happens when the mission field, um, what happened when our highest calling is to leverage this, what you describe, this profound cultural angst into a um, political platform? I mean, what happens to the mission field when, when those we we disagree with become not targets of our love, but enemies to be vanquished, and and instead of neighbors that we're to love, what happens to the mission field when this aberrant version of Jesus, which is formed in our own image, and we weaponize it online as this wrecking ball? Um, what happens is what you just described a a um, a good news that has nothing to do with the gospel. And um, and and uh, a great dechurching of America, and um, and so we'll I, we'll as long as this is our pattern, Carmen, I am convinced that that religiously unaffiliated will continue to climb at unprecedented rates, and this great evangelical prize, political influence <laughs> that we want, will continue to to erode, and and this weapon of cultural engagement like what we've been involved in will just like jesus taught us it'll be turned and used against us in full measure jesus said if you live by the sword how are you going to die you're going to die by the sword and as long as politics becomes our our identity that that's how we're going down and um and so the church of jesus christ i think this temptation of caesar that we're talking about 
is going to become and is becoming our great undoing. Identity is an important word. Belonging is an important word. Purpose is an important word. Maybe we would substitute mission there as the important word. Um, these are the things that we long for and we need and we know it. I mean, like, right, we we absolutely must have a sense of who we are and whose we are and what in the world we're in the mm. world um, to be and do. Um, and then that belonging part, I think, for most people is the sticking point. They have not experienced genuine, heartfelt family of God, community, mm. um, the the blood bond of being a Christian in Christ and therefore with Christ's people as a body, like interdependent, totally connected. Mm, um, yep. They haven't experienced that. And that is actually the the vision in the book that is like catches in your throat and and makes you like long in your bones when when you read if you're listening right now and you haven't read it um that was my experience in reading once you see um when i read this novel my physical experience was i want to experience church like that i i want this is what i want i don't know how to make it happen i don't know if it's possible to invite the body of believers of which I am currently a part to move in this direction, um, I don't know if it if it requires this vision being caught by uh, some group of people that then I become quote unquote church with. Um, but I got to tell you, you will feel it. It will catch in your throat. You will your heart will pound. You will shed tears of desire. Um, you will agonize that that the body, that, that our experience of the church is what it is and has been what it has been. And it's so far, it's so far from the belonging, believing mm. community that Jesus Christ died to raise. So we're going to talk more about it. We are talking with Jeff Christofferson. He's the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel. And we're talking today about temptation number six, which is partisanism. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is an app, but TikTok is also the reality of the year winding down to the end. So we're making lists. We're checking them twice. Things done, things left undone, gifts given, gifts we still need to buy. Would you help us with a gift before the end of the year? Time is ticking away, and this ministry is not possible without you. So I'm wondering if before the end of the year, you would make your best tax-deductible gift to support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps the good news in front of more people everywhere, all the time, anywhere, accessible through the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or by giving today at MyFaithRadio.com. TikTok. So in a, in a story that unfolds across uh, across the world and then in the hearts and lives of men and women um, who are disconnected and then ultimately connected to one another because they're connected to Christ, uh, Jeff Christofferson writes a beautiful story. It's called Once You See. It is a novel, but in the novel he is addressing Seven Temptations of the Western Church. And we have talked 
through them, um, the temptations and their kingdom correctives. We've talked about philosophicalism. Um, you know, it's one thing to say we're a Bible-believing people. It's another thing to actually respond in obedience when God says something in his word, um, when God convicts you of something by his spirit, and you don't do it, then you're in, in disobedience. And it doesn't matter that you're a quote-unquote Bible-believing person. If you're not a, a Bible-doing person, um, then you're really not an active, activated Christian. Um, how about professionalism? You know, we got a gifted pastoral team as if we could pay people to do what each and all of us has been uh, called, gifted, and commissioned to do, presentationalism. We got great, inspiring worship. Our preaching is really strong. Hmm. Well, the kingdom corrective here to presentationalism is that we actually become and function as the body of Christ in community with one another. It's not about having a well-tuned Sunday service. And, and none of us is saying that, you know, our service ought not to be excellent. Our worship services ought to be excellent. They should, absolutely. Um, but that is actually not what the church in Acts, if you read it, looked like, felt like, uh, walked like, worked like, lived like. And so what does it mean and look like to not only be a functioning body of Christ, but for each and every one of us to be functional uh, members of it, fully activated, doing our part? Um, how about passivism? We sit, we sit back and we say, you know, as we, as we snark and snarf at people who don't, quote unquote, come to church. It's available. The doors are open. Everyone is welcome. I mean, you know, they would know us by our love if they'd come and be like us and be with us. Now, does that sound like an, a, a gospel that is going, go, therefore, into all the world? Is, does that sound like a gospel that's making disciples in a way that's winsome? Does that sound like uh, a, a community of believers that is so um, concerned with the concerns of others that we can't help ourselves but get out there into the mix of it? It's not about everyone being welcome where we are. It's about us going and actually being the church in the world, incarnating the gospel. How about pragmatism? Um, what are you counting? Are you counting, uh, you know, noses and toes? And are you counting tithes and offerings? Or are you counting um, genuine conversion baptisms, believer baptisms? Are you counting kingdom um, change? Are you, are you counting growth and discipleship? Like, what are you counting and how are you counting it? And then we arrive today at temptation number six, and that is partisanism. It's maybe the most obvious um, of the things that not only tempts the Western church, but has um, made her putrid. She, she stinks to the world, not because she's the aroma of Christ, but because she has um, become divided in spirit and divided in heart. The spirit of the world has come into the church through the temptation of partisanism. And we're addressing that today um, with our friend Jeff Christofferson. Jeff, what's the kingdom corrective to partisanism in the church? The kingdom corrective to partisanism in the church is total allegiance and loyalty to King Jesus. Um, it, it can, our, our highest and best, the most patriotic gift that any Christ follower could give his or her nation is is to emulate its master, emulate the, the ethical and cultural ramifications of, of that kind of life is has a transformational effect. And the things that we're trying to accomplish um, through our memes and our and our 
sermons oftentimes it, it, it will happen as an inside job but the metaphor that of this culture counterculture um thing that christ has asked us to do is yeast it is um it is it, it it's a it's an invisible power that comes when we um show undivided allegiance i just was thinking this morning is coming on the the what what is what is our average if you said what's the most important value we have in our in our country most christ followers would say freedom um was it daniel webster said give me liberty or give me death um liberty uh <laughs> And then death, um, physical, temporal freedom, and then death is a life eternal sentence in hell. And um, and when we have when we when we see around the world, when we see the, the the fertile soil that the Bible was sort of brought into, and we have, and around the world and everywhere that that the the gospel is actually exploding, both past and present, has been in oppressive regimes regimes. And, uh, and so our highest culture, our highest, um, identity is not to preserve our freedom. Our highest identity is to be a bond servant to Jesus Christ. And, um, and whatever that means to us, uh, it will be like yeast and it will actually have that preserving nature. And so we choose what is the two party thing? Is it, is it, it's not, Democrats and Republicans, it's darkness or light. And, um, and they don't line up perfectly together. No, there's a, no, certainly not. That, that isn't a wonderful way of saying it. Um, that's a really good question that you ask and a really good um, maybe th- point to leave us with today in terms of the way we're thinking about these things and how we're living it out. Like, what is my, what do I value most? And Americans answer that question um, in terms of what do they personally value most? The answer is freedom. But what do they value most in terms of what they quote unquote have? The answer is family. And if I am more concerned about my freedom and my my family than I am concerned about um, being a bond servant to Christ and my family of faith, like the relationships that I have because of who I am in Christ, I'm going to spend eternity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That may or may not include the people to whom I am genetically related. Mm-hmm. And so um, our values are upside down and we don't have kingdom values. And I think that's what you're helping us to see. The temptations of the world have um, have gotten, have laid hold of us in deep and dramatic ways as individual Christians and as the body of Christ in the world today. So thank you for the way that you have allowed God to use um, your sort of holy imagination to bring this um, this story forward. One of the things, um, Jeff, that uh, I love about Once You See is the heart for for my global brothers and sisters mm. um, that I think we, we tend to talk of uh, or speak of as the persecuted church, but that's not a fair way of dissecting um, the body, uh, universal and global. Um, and so... I'm praying that they persevere today. And one of the questions I'm asking myself is, am I as concerned or more concerned for the Christians in Pakistan whose churches have been burned to the ground um, in the last couple of days as I am about pagans in my own country whose town has been burned to the ground? 
Mm. Like I, it is a question we have to ask. And, um, and it, it is, it's a strange answer when the answer is Jesus and his kingdom. It's just a strange yeah. answer in the world today. So yeah. thank you, my brother. Thank, thank you. you. It's wonderful to be yeah. with you, Carmen. Likewise. That's Jeff Christofferson. You can find him at the Canada National Baptist Convention. He is a part of Church Planting Canada. Um, you can also find him. Um, he's a missiologist at the Church Multiplication Institute. He's the author of um, Once You See, which is my favorite novel of the year. You're listening to a special Christmas week edition of Mornings with Carmen. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson uh, in just a moment. Here's the question. How do you think about and experience the mission of Christ in the world today? What does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? And what might it look like to learn from other Christ followers around the world instead of imagining that we have all the answers? All of that up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Our friend Jeff Christofferson is um, back with us today. Uh, the book is Once You See, You Know It's My uh, Favorite Novel of the Year, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. Um, and we arrive today at the seventh of the temptations, and that is paternalism. Jeff, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. Appreciate the later time slot here. Got to sleep in. You totally go from like teaching to preaching to meddling when <laughs> when we arrive at number seven, which is paternalism. Um, we do train pastors around the world. We do supply resources for people around the world. We, um, you know, we are we are generous uh, to our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Mm-hmm. We are planting and building churches uh, in places that are remote. So this is not about failing to be generous and partner in ministry. So what is this about? This is this is about um, coming with it coming to grips with the fact that uh, I was listening to your lead in. I think you nailed it coming coming to grips with the fact that we have um got to a point where the gospel is not really seen as good news in many of our churches where the um the power of what god is doing is is can be explained in a business plan and um and in what we're seeing around the rest of the world um we're just in a generation and a half um we've watched christianity go from a fledgling um almost in in some cases almost extinction to a global powerhouse and um and we're now two-thirds of christians don't live in the west and in a very f- short time it'll be like over 70 percent of christians um are are located outside of the west and and the place where the gospel is moving the most powerfully and the most quickly is outside of the west and so for us to have the hubris to say we're going to come and teach you how it's done uh it probably is is uh well it's hubris and um and uh and so what some people say you know make sure what you have works before you export it and uh and i think that's something we need to pause and think about what um what can i as uh, a christian in the united states of america 
learn from a brother like Omar? Hmm. So uh, Omar is a character in, in the book and um, he was a, uh, a Muslim law student who comes to Christ through the, the testimony of a fellow law student. Um, he, in, he is admitted into the secret church in Yemen and the underground church. And, um, and then in the short order, because of his faith uh, is persecuted and um, to, to the point of almost death. And, um, and he ends up through a miraculous, and again, this is key because this is really strange to have God stories, it seems like, in the West, but it's commonplace in the global church. Uh, he is rescued and, um, and ends up in, in North America in, in, as, a, as a person who looks at our churches and can't even, and sees it actually in the first blush as, wow, this is something aspirational. I see all these facilities, all this money, all this uh, infrastructure, and uh, in short order realize, well, I see all this stuff, but I, I feel oceans away from Jesus. And, um, and and the the life that he had once lived in terms of in the midst of persecution of uh, seeing the very power of god and that's what scripture says in first corinthians the kingdom of god is not a matter of talk but a matter of power he he goes where is the power and um and so in our cities it, all over we have omars driving ubers washing dishes and trying to connect with our churches and um going i i don't i don't get it and uh and so there's there's a struggle and we don't know how to embrace those people and uh and i think one of the be be best things maybe a christ follower might do is go find a global christian somewhere that's in your city and um and stop you know thinking how i could teach this person something and just begin asking questions and uh, and see what see what you might learn. Um, I I love him. I love the authenticity of his willingness to be honest, even when it costs him a lot. Um, even when there would be great advantage to forgetting uh, the power of God mm. and and just accepting. Um, all of the bells and whistles of the the Western Church and its ways. Um, I think that this encouragement to find a global Christian and start asking questions would transform us, um, and it would begin to transform the experience that we have in in our churches in in North America. Um, it's also potentially you know very disruptive, and I think that that's a part of this that that we resist. That's, that's the part mm. we resist in the whole project. I mean, I, Jeff, I think you know that, right? Like as I, yeah. as I read, um, once you see, and I reflect on it, you know, I know it's true. There's just no question. Like I, I, I want it. I want it. And then I, and, and then I say to myself, how, how can I get from where I am and the reality of the rhythms of church in my own community like, how do I get from here to there? And what you're saying is just start by going and seeking out a global Christian and start asking questions. That seems like a, a, 
that's that's less scary than mm. um, what I might have been afraid you would suggest. <laughs> well, the I mean, for us to embrace something new, um, we have to unlearn before we can relearn. And it's been my experience having this conversation now for decades, seeing people go from kind of relearning. Um, the, the unlearning really can't happen until our minds have been blown with a, uh, a better picture. And um, in fact, the, the Bible uses a word called metanoia. Meta meaning change and noia meaning mind. We've changed our mind. We, we translate that word into repentance. And, um, and, and in our culture, we kind of associate repentance with shame. And, um, and for many of us, shame isn't the right response. We're, we're doing what we know what we're supposed to do. We, we're doing what, we, what we've learned, the only thing we've seen. And, um, but metanoia doesn't speak about that. It speaks about we have a picture now that is so much better, so much more intoxicating that the old is, is, is this vapid nothingness that, that I just don't even want to really, I can't get excited about it because I am so engrossed with, with what God has just shown me. And uh, so I don't know how we get from unlearning to relearning without metanoia, without this repentance, without us um, actually having a, a kingdom corrective, a kingdom picture of what Jesus' intention was from the beginning. And that is that the church doesn't exist for itself. The church is Jesus's mission. And um, it's his body, and his body needs to look like himself. And uh, and we can't get there as long as we have sort of have this, the only thing, the default mode as church, as corporate organization. And uh, and that's where we are in the West, and uh, and that's why we have no power. We, we, um, we, we actually encourage non-power. <laughs> we, you take a look at our spiritual gifts and... Um, and how do we find our spiritual gifts? Well, well, they're not spiritual. Um, uh, we we do a personality test, and we say, and you know, in this situation, would you one, two, or three? And we we say two, and we do two hundred questions, and we fill it out, and we find out what our comfort zone is, what our how to live in the flesh, how to be a carnal Christian. We baptize that and call it a spiritual gift. And uh, in fact, the spiritual gift is just the opposite. It is what I'm in my weakness when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, take the step of faith. And I take this step of faith and I see God's power. And uh, and I, 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 I do that over time. And I begin to associate, wow, every time I, I, I step in my weakness, I see kingdom power. And, um, and that's the meta-narrative scripture, isn't it? And so we have formed a uh, a corporate version that actually protects us from the power of God walking or about walking in faith and uh and I don't know how we get out of that until there is a, a an intoxication with a different way could you look past the um the scars and the stigma of a refugee to see the divine opportunity standing squarely in front of you that is going to be the question um, before us as we consider what it looks like to be kingdom people in the midst of the kingdoms of this world um, and as quote-unquote church people 
in the midst of the advancement of the gospel, which has newly arrived on the North American shores, and it has arrived by people who have experienced Christ around the world. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. Temptation number seven is paternalism. The book is Once You See. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 2023 is almost in the books. We're about to turn the page to 2024. And as we do so, what kind of plans are you making to be in the Bible every day? Every day I ask, where in the word are you today? Which implies that I wholeheartedly believe that you and I need to be in the word of God every day. If you don't make a plan to do it, you're not going to do it. So I want to invite you into our Bible in a Year reading plan available right now at MyFaithRadio.com. You always say you want to do it. This year, let's commit together to spending time every single day in the Word of God so that every day you'll have an answer to the question, where in the Word are you today? The Word of God will be getting into you before you get out there into the world that God so loves. So get your Bible in a Year plan now at MyFaithRadio.com. So when did the gospel arrive where you live, and how did the gospel arrive where you live? Um, How did you intersect with the good news of the gospel? Um, I was asked this question the other day by a global Christian in my community uh, who said, uh, you know, so what do you think? When did the gospel arrive in Egypt? Now, he happens to be a Coptic Christian, so I was pretty sure it was a trick question. And I said, well, it's my understanding that, uh, you know, Mark the Evangelist— you know, very, very soon after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, you know, makes his way uh, to bringing the gospel uh, in this particular way to this place. And um, and so, and we talked a little bit about uh, Alexandria and, you know, this, the, the, the great history of, of Christianity in, in Egypt. And then, and then he said, it, it, I have something for you. The gospel arrived um uh in 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 the person of Jesus um when he was just a wee wee child um mm. as a refugee that's when the gospel that's when the that's when God brought the gospel to Egypt we didn't know it but we welcomed him and we cared for him and this is a person who now lives as a refugee here in the United States of America but whose faith is <laughs> uh yeah, very deep and very wide, and from whom I have much to learn. So I share that um, I share that with you today as a part of our reflection on paternalism. What uh, this temptation of the Western Church to imagine that we have the gospel and we have it right, and other people ought to experience it and do it and become like us in our Christianity. Jeff Christofferson is the author of Once You See. He's also a church planter, and he's helping us reflect together on. Um, our own blind spots in in relationship to the gospel's advance in this generation. So, um, Jeff, you know, what are you learning? What are you learning from global Christians when you start asking questions? Uh, I think I was sort of getting at it a little bit in that first. That is that... um, what what we we have rationalized in fact we have embedded in our theology ways that uh, w- ways that we should really be comfortable with the fact that god doesn't work in in our we shouldn't expect um incredible displays of god's power 
Um, we have whole theologies built around it. One is called cessationalism. And, uh, and basically it's just in shorthand of that is we shouldn't expect God to do anything around us. And, um, that, that the, the power of God ended, uh, ended <laughs> with the, the closing of the canon in the, in the, the, the scripture. And, um, and and that's not what the what the world is seeing. The world is very used to demonic activity. The very is is used to um, um, seeing visibly what what Satan is doing, and then um, there the church is used to see is beginning to become used to seeing God's power, and um, and in this sort of cosmic battle of good and evil, um, they're they're on the side of Christ, which is actually you know, the overwhelming sense. And so um, I think that would be the first thing is the fact that we've numbed ourselves to those spiritual realities of the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of God. And, um, and we just sort of have this, this sort of lukewarm pablum middle that has no power. And, uh, and I think that's one thing that, that uh, the persecuted church, which is the majority church, um, has something to teach us. And then secondly, um, the gospel is is something that arrests uh, people and 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 turns them uh, as crazy salesmen for this this death to life transformation. And uh, and so when you have a, a, a person or a, a person who has only experienced evil, and um, and they they they've lived generationally under that. It might be in a caste system in in India, or it might be all kinds of everything. And then they they come and understand the transforming power of Jesus Christ and the freedom that comes with that. Um, their 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 evangelism is effervescent because it just nat it Christ has changed everything in them and and their whole outlook and uh, and so they just become. Uh, such exhibit A's of the power of God that that the oikos, the groups around them, the friends and family, and and uh, see this this transformation, and and the gospel just runs. It just travels fast because of this this uh, change in the lives of people. And so I think we have got to have sort of a, a fresh understanding that the gospel truly is good news. And um, and everything outside of the gospel is bad news, and uh, and I think we play this this game in the church that we're uh, we 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 want to be liked, we want to be um, sort of popular, and so we we try to balance what the world has to offer with what Christian teaches and what teachings are, and we we end up again with the kind of a watered down version, and so. Um, the, the the world has a different the the global majority world has a different picture of the gospel than we do and uh it's powerful it's sweet it's beautiful and uh and it it changes everything yeah um watered down versus um versus new wine i just think there are so many conversations to have here new wine requires new wine skins it has been quite a year this is our final time together in 2023 and I want to tell you how grateful I am for every moment we've spent together um, in this year, for the challenges we've faced, for the griefs we've shared, for the ministries we've discovered, for the prayers we've prayed, for the questions we've addressed. 
It is my hope that the year has been a great gift to you. It has certainly been a great gift to me. So we have um, experienced answered prayers. I want to celebrate those. I want to celebrate Jesus. I want to celebrate the opportunity that we have to speak blessing into one another's lives. Maybe the best thing I could leave you with at the close of this calendar year is the confident hope that God is, and God is good. Whatever else is true, whatever else we face, the ultimate reality is that God is, and God is good. We can rest in that. We can set our hope right there. We can walk by faith in Him, even as the things we see and hear are contrary to the goodness, beauty, and truth of the God who is. And so, my friend, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The very peace which passes all understanding. The peace that comes with the Prince of Peace alone. The peace of contentment and inexpressible joy. The peace of Christ. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.